0: Well, hello and thank you for joining us for this time of Bible study. Um, I pray that God speaks to you as we read His Word. I I know He's already worked on me as I worked on this message. We're talking about a very sensitive subject, and it's about justice, and I know that is sensitive especially in light of what's going on in our culture, but we want to go to God's Word and ask what He would have to say and how we should apply His principles of justice in today's culture. Would you pray with me, and let's ask God to say whatever he wants to say. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can apply it to our lives, and it is as fresh and applicable today as it ever was. Lord, we want you to speak, and we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that we would be drawn close to you, and at the end of this, you would get the glory for everything that is said in the focus of the Holy Spirit. May you be glorified, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I took my son Joshua, he's my oldest, to an NFL game. We happened to get late tickets to a game in Atlanta, watching the Atlanta Falcons play the Rams. We had interesting seats. We were at the corner of the end zone, up just a little bit, but that particular end zone, anytime either team was advancing toward the end zone, we, we could see very well. And Of course, when they were at the other end zone, it seemed very far away. But during the game, something very interesting happened as we watched this game in Atlanta, so of course the Falcons, it was a home game for them. We're watching the game, and at at one point the Rams were coming toward the end zone closest to where we were sitting. The quarterback hands off to the running back, and he sweeps around the backside trying to lunge for that pylon, that orange pylon, on the corner of the end zone for a touchdown. As he approached the sidelines, he was tiptoeing along the sidelines trying not to go out, and he leaps over that pylon to get to the end zone. When they showed the play on the big jumbotron in the stadium, we could see that his foot, his last step before reaching the end zone, was right next to the white line that would be out of bounds. His foot was so close, in fact, there was no sight of grass between his foot and the white line. Now, mind you, his foot wasn't on the white line. It was just right up against it. When we saw that on the Jumbotron, you can imagine what the whole stadium did there in Atlanta. They all started screaming almost in unison, he's out, he's out, he's out. He's touching the white line, he's out of bounds. It doesn't count, does it count, and we're yelling at the refs. The whole stadium seems to be in unity. He's clearly out of bounds. Now, fast forward about 30 minutes or so, And the teams have swapped end zones, and now the Falcons are coming toward the same end zone where we're sitting. Matt Ryan, the quarterback, as they get close to the end zone, he runs what's called a bootleg, which means he fakes a handoff to the running back. He's running around the side trying to get to the end zone corner, the same as the Rams were doing earlier. And wouldn't you know it, he has to come right along the sideline and lunge for that pylon trying to get in the end zone guess where he stepped? Almost the exact same spot. He steps right next to the white line as he lunges for the pylon. So close, in fact, that you could not see any grass between his foot and the white line, but he's not on the white line, he's just right next to it. Except this time, what do you think the stadium did? Atlanta erupted. The whole stadium. Well, he's not on the line, he's next to the line. Clearly, he's in bounds. Touchdown. Touchdown. We all agree. Touchdown. Refs, come on, you got eyes. You can see that's a touchdown. And I sat there looking at how we responded to the same scenario. One scenario with the Rams player, well, he's clearly out of bounds. The other with the Falcons player, he's clearly in bounds, and their foot was in the exact same spot. Why was that? Is the whole stadium hypocrites? The whole stadium? You see, how we viewed those two plays only mattered because of the color of their jersey. If it was blue and gold for the Rams, Atlanta clearly passed judgment that he's out of bounds. But if he's wearing black and red for the Falcons, He's clearly in bounds. Why did we do that? Our first point I want to share with you, the truth about human nature is we want whatever gives us or our side the most benefit. That is human nature. We want whatever gives us or our side, our viewpoint, the most benefit. So Atlanta, of course, wanting the Falcons to have that touchdown, said he was in and that the Rams was out. You know, I doubt anybody in the stadium clearly believed that they were acting hypocritical. Upon watching this, I began thinking about it on the drive home. My son and I even talked about it a little bit. I said, isn't it interesting, even at our high school basketball games that we go to, if the referee misses a call against the other team, we go crazy. We're pointing it out, we're yelling at the referee, They were out of bounds, they were out of bounds, or they double dribble or whatever it was if it was basketball. We're yelling at the ref, we want justice. We want justice against the other team. But what happens when our own player steps out of bounds or double dribbles or commits some foul? If the ref doesn't call it, what do we do? We sit back. (laughs) I guess we got away with that one. It doesn't bother us at all. So my question is, I'm going to start with the world of sports. Do we really want justice? Or do we only want justice for the opposing side? I've never seen a coach, even good coaches, good men, that yelled at a ref because they missed a call that would hurt his own team. I've never seen it. You never see a coach say, why didn't you you call my player out of bounds? He was clearly out of bounds. Coaches don't do that. They only want justice in regard to the opposing team. So my next question to you is this. Is this also true in life? Do we look at the jerseys that we are wearing and pass judgment based on what gives us the most benefit and the justice we want against those that we're opposed to? What does God say about justice? So let's go to Scripture. God loves justice. It is part of his character. He says in Psalm 89, verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So look at this. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Now, I want to point this out. Notice that along with justice... He also has righteousness and love in the mix because all those things always go together with God. Righteousness goes with justice, goes with love, goes with faithfulness. Let's continue reading in Psalm 33, 5. Look what it says here. Of the Lord, it says, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. There they are together again. He loves righteousness, justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And then again in Proverbs 21 verse 3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So let's think about that. Righteousness and justice, just doing the right thing, is more preferable to God than sacrifice something to him. That's how important justice is to God. But what if, what if I've truly been wronged? What if justice has not been done, as is the case much in this culture? Can I respond to punish the other person? Do, can, can, I, can I not just take my vengeance now if justice is not being done? Let's look at what God says. He tells us not to sin by wrongly responding because he sees everything. Instead, he says, trust him, let him judge, trust the structure of authority that he has set up. It's hard for me to read Romans chapter 13, but if you want to know what God believes about the current structure of authority, the current leaders that are, that are right now leading our country and towns, go read Romans chapter 13, because he says something that's hard to swallow for us sometimes. The very idea of authority is God's idea. The very structure of authority is God's structure. He knows that we have imperfect, sinful people in various levels of authority. But that structure is still something he wants us to abide by. And you say, "Oh, well, wait a minute, what if the leaders are bad? Well, there's a way to deal with that too. But over all of it, God sees. He sees what's going on. And we will all be accountable to him. But one thing God says, and this is my third point We have to remember that God is the judge, not us. God is the judge, not us. Yes, we have uh, police and law enforcement and local government and and, uh, national government leaders in position, and we're supposed to pray for them and submit to their authority, even though we know it's going to be imperfect authority. But what do we do when there's blatant injustice and it's not being handled? Can we take vengeance? Let me read you this. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Let me read that one more time. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, the Lord is as interested in justice as you and I are if not more so. And he says, I am on the the seat of justice, and there is a judgment day coming. He could administer justice now, but there certainly will be a day, the judgment day, where he will administer perfect justice then, total justice. So what we can't do is act like we can kick him off the throne, which we can't do, but act like we want to kick him off the throne and sit in the seat of judgment and pass judgment ourselves. God says no. Vengeance is mine. Listen to Ecclesiastes 3.17. God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter and every work. There's a day coming for judgment and he's going to judge the righteous and the wicked. Colossians 3.25 adds to this, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. The wrongdoer will be paid back for what he has done wrong, and there is no partiality. God doesn't look at us and say, well, you're a special group over here. You're rich, or you're good-looking, or you made better grades, or whatever, you know. That doesn't matter. There's no partiality. God is judge, and he will administer justice to all of us. You, you, You say, but what if justice is taking too long? What if it's taking too long? I'm sick of waiting for justice. Can I take my vengeance now and just ask God to forgive me? My next point, God will judge all of us. Remember what I said in the beginning, do we really want justice? Do we really want justice or do we only want justice for the opposing side? See, justice in God's eyes is perfect and it applies to all of us. So look what he says in Romans 14 verses 10 through 12. Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the Scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. If there is a sobering verse in Scripture, that's it. Well, there are many. But that one, when I think about that I have to stand in front of almighty God, who has been here forever, who is the alpha and the omega of all that he creates, and I am nothing but water and flesh, and I have to stand in front of him and give an account of my life? Why? Why would I wanna jump in front of what he's doing and try to administer what I think is right? I know that's hard. It's hard to digest that. 2 Corinthians 5.10 adds to this. It says, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So again, each of us, individually, will have to give an account to God for what we did here. That makes me shiver, honestly. Lastly, for this point, Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He is the ultimate judge. But the good thing to know is he judges perfectly. He judges righteously. But even before judgment happens, he offers grace and mercy and forgiveness if we will receive it and then apply it. I know this is tough for a lot of people, given what's going on in our culture. But here's the truth. God wants us to forgive. He wants us to forgive others, which is very difficult to do. Where does he say this? In Colossians 3.13, he says, Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Others. I want to read that again. Make allowance for each other's faults. Man, that's hard. In big ways and small ways. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I totally agree with you who are watching this. You're thinking that is so, so difficult. It is so hard, especially when the hurt is deep, especially when it's still stinging. It is very difficult Matthew 6, 14, and 15 supports this. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Oh, snap. Oh, wait, wait, what, did I just read that if I forgive other people that sin against me, God will forgive me? But if I refuse to forgive others, then God will not forgive my sins. That's Matthew six fourteen and 15. However you interpret this verse, I think it's pretty clear. Don't play around with that. Don't do it. If there's somebody we need forgiveness from, it is the Lord. We need him to forgive us for so many things on so many levels. But what we can't do is say, God, thank you for this incredible forgiveness of everything I've done in my life and I receive that forgiveness, but no way I'm forgiving others that hurt me. No way. God says, well, wait a minute. If you don't deserve my forgiveness and I'm offering it to you because I love you, who are you to turn to someone else and say, I refuse to forgive you? How can I show love and forgiveness to someone who doesn't deserve it, though? How could I, That's not fair. How can I give love and forgiveness to an entire people group that doesn't deserve it, that has caused so much pain, that's not fair. I'm reminded that God first offers forgiveness to us. That's the next point. God first offers forgiveness to us. Look at Romans 5.8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I am sinning, I'm in wickedness, selfishness, and yet during that period God still says I'm offering salvation through the blood and crucifixion of Jesus Christ? I don't deserve anything, and yet he's offering this to me. Scripture says that Jesus Christ came, God's Son, who was holy and perfect without sin, and then he's going to come down and suffer for me who does deserve to suffer? That is incredible. I'm gonna read that one more time, Romans 5.8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Well, why did he have to die? Romans 6.23 answers that question. It says, for the wages of sin, my sin, your sin, is death, permanent separation from God. But he goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Wait a minute. So, God, you're telling me, yes, you created me, but I chose to sin. I I do selfish things often, big sins and small sins, and to whatever degree you think you've sinned, most people consider themselves a good person, but you have to admit all of us have done wrong things to a great degree or a small degree. All of us have done them. You mean, God, you're going to look at me with love even though I failed, sometimes in many regards at many levels, and your perfect son Jesus Christ who deserves worship and holiness is going to come down here and and go through a brutal shameful death for me and then offer me salvation if I just put my faith and trust in him yes that is exactly what the Lord's saying and it's unbelievable it's incredible what he's done for us but see here's the catch we can't say God forgive me thank you for and I totally receive what you've done and then turn around and spew hate, condemnation, and judgment on other people, refusing to offer love and forgiveness to them. He says, if you don't forgive others, neither will I forgive you, and that is a very sobering verse. So the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then Romans ten nine tells you exactly how to get this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It goes on to say, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. In other words, when I truly, truly, not just to have my insurance in my back pocket, but when I truly acknowledge who Jesus is, he is the one way, scripture says, John fourteen 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life, no man gets to the Father but by me. When I go through Jesus Christ, he is my doorway to salvation. But Jesus says, I'm offering this to you, and when I truly have Jesus in my heart, that I truly put my faith in him, and the Holy Spirit comes into my life, I shouldn't be allowed, or able, really, to turn around and condemn other people that I should forgive. It's a hard truth. It's hard to digest that. But yet, here it is in Scripture. So then, what does God want me to do? Because right now, our culture is struggling We're fighting, we're blaming, accusing. A lot of it is valid, too. What do we do? It helps me to remember that all of us are at fault, that all of us are sinners, that great sin has been done. But where do we go from here? The Lord's the only way that can heal your heart. He is. He's the only way that can heal my heart. He's the only one that can heal heal your heart. Look at this. We must love God, love others, and wait on the Lord. Basically, that's what he calls us to do. Love God, love others, and wait on the Lord. What does that mean? Well, Micah 6.8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Other translations say to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. I cannot walk humbly if I'm lifting myself up, accusing and looking down on other people and judging them. When I walk humbly, I recognize my need for forgiveness, my need to walk with the Lord, my need to say, God, I need you every day, my need to be loved by God and then to show love to other people. And yes, it is hard. But with the Lord's help, we can all do it. We can do this. But it's a choice to say, God, I'm asking you to fill me to the point I can turn and forgive and love and walk with others in understanding just as I need understanding. That's Micah 6.8. Then Matthew 7.12, listen to this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and prophets. It's the golden rule whatever you want someone else to do to you, then you should do to them. In other words, justice goes both ways. Forgiveness should go both ways. Love should go both ways. And you can say, well, wait a minute, it doesn't always go both ways. Listen to these verses. Isaiah 30 verse 18, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you Why would he wait? That's a very interesting question. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. There is a time, there is a place, either in this life or at the judgment seat, that God will administer perfect justice. And not just what we want for the other opposing side. Justice that applies to everyone without partiality. But look, he says, blessed are those who wait for him. You and I need to wait for God's perfect justice. There are measures of justice in this life. We can appeal when something doesn't go right. If we don't think justice has been done, we need to appeal to the structure of authority that God has set up, knowing that they're imperfect people then if justice is still not done, we must go to the Lord. We must go to the Lord and say, Lord, I know you see this. Lord, it still stings, it still hurts. We're we're still trying to figure out a way through this pain. Lord, please, we need justice and trust the Lord so that you and I do not go out of bounds to point out someone else is out of bounds. We can't do wrong to point out someone else is wrong. God says, no, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Psalm 34, 17 and 18 adds this, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Wow, that is a comforting verse. God sees us, he sees you wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, whatever pain that you're experiencing. Whatever wrongs that have been done, he sees it. He knows it. And it is for us to trust our Creator, to trust the all-perfect, righteous, holy judge to administer justice perfectly in his time. Finally, Jeremiah nine twenty-three and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise men boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. I have to ask myself do I want God on my side? Do I want his justice? do I really want justice? And I'm not just talking about, I want justice for the opposing side. I want justice when the other team goes out of bounds, but not when my team goes out of bounds. Because see, the truth is, you and I would like to believe that we're basically good people. We're the good guys. Our view is correct. But what we really want is mercy. We want grace. We want forgiveness. We want people to understand our situation. But see, you can't say, I want everybody to understand me and show me grace, while I want full justice for those that I oppose. That is hypocrisy. So yes, we see it in sports, my first analogy, a lot. We want the other team to be called for everything they do wrong, and we want to get away with as much on our side as we possibly can. That's not justice. So do we really want justice? because God's justice goes both ways. And if we want him to judge those that are in the wrong, we have to submit ourselves to the same judgment. And you and I don't want God's wrath on us. We do not want to cast condemnation prematurely. We never want to stand in the way of what God's trying to do. We want his mercy, we want his forgiveness, And so he says, if you want my mercy and forgiveness, he asks us to be merciful and forgiving to other people. And as hard as that is, we have to look to the cross for Jesus Christ to submit himself, and he was perfect without sin, a blameless lamb to submit himself to the beatings, scourgings, shame, accusations, lies, crucifixion, that he went through for you and I. Really, how can we be bitter and angry about injustice? I encourage you, as I have done and as I will continue to do, when you feel wronged, maybe you are wronged, maybe on a big scale or a small scale, and you want justice, ask yourself what kind of justice you really want. And is it for you as well? And will you trust God if justice is not yet here? Will you trust him and put it in his hands, not to jump out and take vengeance yourselves, but to say, God, I trust you as creator. I trust you as the one we're all ultimately accountable to. I trust you as the one I will stand individually in front of one day and give an account of my life. And all of the leaders and others around you will do the same. I trust you that you see things perfectly, every motive, every heart, every life. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. Would you trust that sovereign God with your issues? Would you trust him with our culture? Would you say, God, would you renovate and do a work in my heart? If you're not sure that you are saved today, you can nail that down. You can say, I realize, Alex, what you're talking about applies to me. I realize that there are things in my life I hope I'm never held accountable for, but yet I want justice for other people. I recognize I need to be forgiven. I need to be washed clean. You can pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, this is true of me. I believe that you died on the cross, rose from the grave. I believe that you're the Son of God of the Most High God, and I need you to come into my life, come into my heart, and to forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my hate, of my anger, and Lord, help me not to step in front of you or even try to to administer what I think is justice by taking vengeance. Lord, would you take over? Would you forgive me and heal me? Teach me how to walk with you so that my life honors you. On the day of judgment when I stand before you, Lord, and you look at my life, what you end up seeing is someone who turned to Jesus Christ for salvation, for forgiveness, for hope, and was cleansed and forgiven of all those things. And then I turned around and offered love and forgiveness to other people. May that be what happens to us on judgment day. This is a hard topic, and I admit that. It is not easy to to view everything going on outside in all of our cities, among our people, of every race, and determine what is right and wrong. It is a complex issue. But this one thing I know, there is a God, and He sees everything. And He ultimately is the perfect judge of everything. And you and I can trust Him. Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would allow these principles, these scriptures to sink into our heart. Lord, that you would do a work knowing that all of us are accountable and you have no partiality. You will judge each of us. You love each of us. And Lord, draw us close to you. Speak to us and guide our way. We pray for our leaders, God. We know we have good leaders and bad leaders at every level. But Lord, they need you. We ask that you would intervene on their behalf and on our, on, our, on our country, on our state, on our city's behalf, Lord, that you would guide them and you would raise up people who seek you and want to administer true justice in a way that pleases you. And Lord, save many, draw us to yourself, and may you be glorified by the result of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.